My name is Nicola Torbett, and you're listening to The Word is Resistance, a podcast of showing up for racial justice, or SURGE, and specifically SURGE Faith and SURGE Action. This is the podcast where we put our weekly scripture readings into conversation with the realities of our times, and we ask what it means in our day to follow a brown-skinned Jesus, born among colonized people, and yet wholly undomesticated by the ideology of empire and unwilling to ignore the violence and inequity around him. Or more specifically, what does it mean to follow that Jesus when we are positioned more like Roman citizens? Because we are a project of surge, this podcast primarily addresses white Americans, citizens of modern-day Rome, and challenges us to take action to end racism and white supremacy following the leadership of people of color. We welcome everyone to listen in, and we especially appreciate feedback from and accountability to listeners of color. Once in a while, it feels as if the Holy Spirit herself has selected the lectionary text specifically for the moment we are in, and this is one of those weeks for me as multi-billionaire Donald Trump visits my home state of California to witness the extreme poverty and houselessness here. While Trump and his Housing and Human Development Secretary Ben Carson hobnob in San Francisco, I'm working on this podcast, hold up with a Bible in a conference room at First Congregational Church of Oakland, my home church, And outside the doors, literally outside this room, several people with no homes and nowhere else to go are hanging out in the atrium of the church. We offer a quiet place to sit, some food from the pantry maybe, but precious little else in the face of so much need. Two or three blocks up the hill under the freeway, another encampment is growing, with more tents popping up every day, and this will continue until, in a month, maybe two, the city will come along and evict everyone. And within a week or so, they'll be back, or others will come in their place. We currently have upwards of 8,000 people living on the streets of Oakland, and they have nowhere to go, nowhere to be safe, nowhere to get out of the rain that is coming in just a few weeks. And I'm in here, writing about Jesus' parable of the rich man and Lazarus, the poor man, who is brought to his gate every day to beg for crumbs. It's such a familiar story. It's familiar from scripture, and at least for those of us who live in urban areas, from our lives. And I think that familiarity can sometimes lead us to think that there's nothing new to say about it. Rich man bad, gets tormented in Hades. Poor man tragic, but gets his after he dies. The end. Nothing more to say. The story is well known, and yet... It seems to lack the power to transform if we judge by the inequity that persists 2,000 years later. Much like the prospect of Lazarus's ghost haunting the rich man's brothers, this story seemingly yields no repentance on the part of the wealthy. If they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. That's from the scripture. I don't know if it's like this where you are, but there is so much heaviness around this issue. Desperate poverty and houselessness is so ubiquitous here, so seemingly intractable, that it is easy to despair. I can feel that heaviness encroaching on me 
as I sit here writing about this. And yet, are we a resurrection people? As a follower of the crucified one who got up, I have to believe that something else is possible, or not only possible, but promised for all of God's people, starting with the last, who will be first. So it's with that tiny flicker of hope that I turn with you to this week's gospel passage. Let's see if we can rest from it some message with the power to transform. Lazarus never speaks. That's what leapt out at me this time, reading through this familiar parable. You probably know the story. There's a rich man living high on the hog, and then outside his gate is a poor man, Lazarus, covered in sores, who's brought there every day to beg for crumbs that never come. Then the poor man dies, the rich man too, and the latter finds himself tormented in Hades, From there, he can see Lazarus being cradled in comfort by their ancestor Abraham. So the rich man calls out from Hades, asking first that Lazarus come and bring him some water to ease his suffering, and then that Lazarus go back to the land of the living to warn the rich man's equally wealthy brothers so that they might not also meet his same fate. The rich man speaks, he calls out, he begs and implores, And Abraham replies, but Lazarus? Lazarus never gets to speak. And this seems familiar to me. We tend to act as if poor people have no voice. Sometimes we even speak of giving voice to the voiceless, as if the ability to communicate is something in our power to grant, rather than something God has given every person. Or we say someone is speaking for those who cannot speak for themselves, which actually means speaking over those people, over poor people, who actually are completely capable of speaking for themselves. I think maybe what we mean is that some poor people can't speak in a vernacular that is intelligible within our colonizer culture. Maybe we mean that they don't really fit, can't really navigate within the labyrinthine structures we have created to mask and obfuscate the theft of land and extraction of wealth, and that in order for the speech of the poor to be intelligible to those in power, maybe even to us, we would need to change. Our culture would need to change our assumptions about what constitutes knowledge, what constitutes education and scholarship, what constitutes common sense, would need to change. Our whole perspective would need to change. And maybe that's where the transformation lies. And so as I thought this week about the parable of the rich man and the poor man and the great chasm fixed between them, as I thought about how we are still living that story out today, as I thought about the despair so many of us feel about the huge numbers of people struggling just to survive and how unmanageable it all feels, I found myself wondering if what we needed was that change in perspective. I wanted to hear 
from Lazarus. I wanted to hear Lazarus speak. So I reached out to one of my teachers, my friend, my comrade, Lisa Gray Garcia, or Tiny, as she is known here locally, and I asked her for an interview. Tiny is honestly someone I turn to a lot for word of insight. In her own words, she is a formerly unhoused, incarcerated poverty scholar, revolutionary journalist, lecturer, poet, visionary, teacher, and single mama of Tibu, daughter of a houseless disabled mama named Dee, and the co-founder of Poor Magazine and Poor News Network. With her mama Dee, she co-founded People School, a poor and indigenous people-led school, as well as several cultural projects such as the Poe Poets Project, co-founded with Leroy Moore, Welfare Queens, that's lowercase w, uppercase queen, the Theater of the Poor, and Hotel Voices, to name just a few. She's the author of a memoir called Criminal of Poverty, Growing Up Homeless in America. She's co-editor of A Decolonizer's Guide to a Humble Revolution, Born and Raised in Frisco, and of Poverty Scholarship, Poor People Theory, Arts, Words, and Tears Across Mama Earth. In 2011, Tiny co-launched the Homefulness Project, a landless people self-determined land liberation movement in the Ohlone Lizjan Huchin territory known as Deep East Oakland, where she also co-founded a liberation school for children called Decolonize Academy. So Tiny and I were all set to meet at the library over at Homefulness, the intentional community of fellow formerly houseless people she co-founded in East Oakland, to talk with you all about the scripture and what it means for our moment. But that's when we got word that Ben Carson would be doing a press conference while he was in town. So as a journalist, Tiny needed to prioritize that. Luckily, though, she has kindly given me permission to share with you an excerpt from one of her podcasts so that you can get a glimpse of the medicine she brings. This episode is called Post-Homeless, Urgent Poverty Scholarship, Lessons for advocates and activists everywhere in this time of emergency. Post-homeless, after the gentrifucking, where do we go? They put us in a room the size of a cracker box or a cooking stove, feeding us crumbs, putting us in system chains, anti-social workers and case manglers holding all the reins. I can't breathe just because the lid was put on top locked me in a jailhouse box, doesn't make me suddenly okay. The trauma sits inside of my broken mind, itching, clawing at my insides. The trauma is a bacteria making it hard to be all right. They left me alone. No one is ever home. I don't got a family to call my own. It's just me and my violent thoughts takes a toll, barely can walk, lash out, management accuses me of being HC. Yeah, hoarder cluttering is what it means. What can I say? 
These things are all I have to love me. Can't you see? Post-gentrified. Lost the little things that made my poor family hold on. Subtle networks. Soft touches of almost love. Corner stoves. Liquor stove clerks. The postman. The friend with the ten. A bill. A shirt. People don't see us when we're gone. When the protests end. When the resistance dies down. And the people wonder when. But we still hear. In these poor people's suburbs like West Sacramento, Antioch, and I don't know where, disintegrating from loneliness and having no backup or friends anywhere near. My friend is homeless. She has nowhere to stay. They are evicting me for having her stay in my single-room occupancy hotel today. Today's podcast from a poverty scholar is in honor of all my fellow poor mamas, brothers, uncles, and comrades who lived through more traumas inside and outside than we care to mention, way beyond the word sad. And just because we got a a jail-like roof, it doesn't make us okay. So when they put us in the poor people housing, the navigation centers, the shelters, the empty rooms, now we're still left with what we had inside our minds before we even ended up outside. So when non-profiteer housing developers and activists alike talk about homelessness as a housing problem, we poverty scholars teach it's way more than that. Like Mother Teresa said in the U.S., there's poverty of the spirit. When we visioned, walked, launched, and dreamed, worked so hard to manifest the ongoing struggle that is homefulness, It's not just a roof, but more importantly, an attempt at a healing space to hold us all poverty scholars closer, to lift us up higher, to take the remnants of the trauma of the isolation nation away from our broken hearts and wrongly individuated minds. It is to work on holding each other even through the pain we inflict on each other and our babies. It is to help us wean ourselves from the lie of separation, nation, and state-sponsored solutions like poli, CPS, and politricksters out our confused minds. It is to actually practice, live, vision, and be homeful. Can't you see? This podcast from a poverty scholar reaches out to fellow poverty scholars to understand that it is more, way more than our housing that's at risk. And to speak up when you are being bullied out your housing by a non-profiteer, so-called legal advocate who has never missed a meal, as my mama D would say, who doesn't overstand struggle anyway. Who cuts deals with your scam lord when they tell you you have 30 days to get rid of your belongings, the things that you love. Please come forward. Don't sign that fake-ass settlement agreement that also goes out to put you out. This podcast from a poverty scholar also goes out to conscious folks who are those advocates, who work in those nonprofits which are trying to do good things, even if they are created as a 
emulation of a for-profit corporation. But this goes out to those good-hearted folks. Stop making those deals with poverty scholars. Whistleblow the wrongness. Think through other options for us poverty scholars than more jail-like regulations and consider self-determination. Invite Poor Magazine in to teach poverty scholarship and remake your housing and service provision from the perspective of poverty scholars. Not how many outcomes you can check off on your grant evaluations and government crumb assessments for fellow poverty scholars to work against the tendency to segregate, separate, and recreate the colonizer's idea of who and what can be in our villages that we're trying to self-determine and remake. To realize that the work only begins with a liberated land acquisition, if we're that lucky, not ends. Is why we at Homefulness work so hard to maintain our Elephant Council, our Family Elders Council, and our healing circles. To reteach us the ways to care for each other, just to name a few. To deal with our constant struggles. That, like my brother Mutiado says, I got 99 problems, and housing ain't one of them. Much gratitude to Tiny for sharing that with us. How was that for you? I'm sure you noticed that Tiny is continually coining new words or variations on familiar words. Takes a minute to get the full brilliance of what she's doing. So go ahead and listen to her podcast again if you need to. And if in doing that you find yourself resistant or feeling offended by any of what she says or the language she uses, I encourage you to notice your body, to take some deep breaths, to soften, and to ask yourself what you might be defending. There is, after all, a reason that the rich man never went to the gate to engage with Lazarus. Hearing the perspective of poor people threatens to break open the world. Will we listen? and heed the warning that Lazarus has to offer? So like I said, part of what Tiny's work does is to deploy creative new terms that break through the lies and false assumptions at the heart of the U.S. dominant culture. We desperately need these interventions, even when they are challenging to our way of life, especially when they are challenging to our way of life. One of the interventions Tiny makes here that I want to pick up on is the shift from homelessness crisis, as if the problem were homeless people, and even housing crisis, as if the problem were lack of housing units, when in reality, Oakland has more than enough units right now to house every single person on the street, were they to be made affordable. So shifting from homeless crisis or housing crisis to a deeper spiritual sickness that she calls wealth hoarding, 
and that I've also heard called affluenza. What if the problem to be solved is not Lazarus at the gate, but the rich man in his palace? What if the dysfunction is less whatever ails Lazarus and more what ails the rich man, his heart condition, if you will, or the dis-ease, the constant unrelenting insecurity and anxiety of possessing wealth that you know deep down is not rightfully yours? What if the problem is the rich man, yes, but also you and me, and the way we play our assigned roles in the larger system of wealth extraction, whether as the antisocial workers and case manglers that Tiny mentions, or as well-meaning pastors and volunteers and advocates who have not taken the time to hear Lazarus speak and who don't make room for Lazarus to lead or self-determine his own life. Truth is that even the so-called poor people's campaign of the past several years, with all due respect, is led primarily by middle-class people, and its agenda is fundamentally reformist rather than transformative. That doesn't mean we shouldn't engage it, but I think it does mean that we need to be pushing that campaign to think deeply about decolonization and reparations for racial capitalism if we are serious about transforming the crisis we are in and ultimately surviving on this planet. The matter is urgent because, friends, the Trump administration is coming for poor people. Sources have been leaking hints about the president's likely plan to address homelessness, which involves using the police to round out poor people and incarcerate them in federal facilities. In other words, yes, more concentration camps. First they came for the migrants, then they came for the homeless. President Trump's perspective on homelessness is much like the rich man's. Here's what he said to reporters right after he boarded Air Force One to leave San Francisco this week. He said, We have people living in our best highways, our best streets, our best entrances to buildings where people in those buildings pay tremendous taxes. Does that sound like the rich man and Lazarus or what? And here's the thing. I don't actually think this scripture is about what happens when we die. Lazarus in heaven with Abraham and the rich man in hell. We read it that way through our lens because we've been taught this doctrine that actually was not there in the original culture of Jesus. No, this scripture is about another dimension of reality. It's about the kingdom, the kinship of God that coexists with and occasionally interpenetrates with this world order. And if we read it that way, then we have to acknowledge that the ancestors... The ancestors are with Lazarus. The ancestors are present to and holding and comforting those who are living in poverty. Even the dogs lick his sores, the scripture says. I know that might sound like a gross or disgusting image to us today, but at the time, the saliva of dogs was believed to have healing properties. The dogs, the animals, all of life was conspiring for the healing of Lazarus, except for the rich man, the rich man who lives alone in his palace, separate from the whole interdependent network of life and love, past and present. Ben Carson made his choice when he was here in San Francisco. He let the mainstream media into his press conference, 
but Tiny and her poor magazine crew, they were locked outside. And as for you and me, caught somewhere between the rich man and Lazarus, between Ben Carson and poor magazine, it seems like we have a choice to make. Whose leadership will we follow? Whose word will we trust? With which community will we cast our lot? These are heavy questions. Everything hangs in the balance. I just keep thinking, the last shall be first. The last shall be first. Amen. This is the part of the podcast where we invite you to take action, but this week I want to do something slightly different, which is to ask you to pause your actions, at least your actions that involve poor people, unhoused people, and people at risk of houselessness, and to seek the wisdom of poverty scholars. Poverty scholar is a term, tiny coined, for people with lived experience and wisdom to share of what it is like to live in poverty and how the systems need to be transformed if we are going to care about people who are poor. You can seek out that poverty scholarship, that wisdom, in a number of ways. There may be poverty scholars organizing in your area whom you can connect with. Visit the encampments near you and notice who is leading and what they have to say. If you live near a reservation or another place where people indigenous to your region come together, that might be a place where you can learn the history of colonization and wealth extraction as it has played out in your part of the country. You can also learn about the landless rural workers movement in Brazil, the slum and pavement dweller movement in India, and similar movements of poor people's self-determination around the world. I've included a link to an article in the transcript. You can also listen to more of Tiny's podcasts on Spreaker.com. That's S-P-R-E-A-K-E-R.com. Once you're there, just search for her name, Lisa Tiny Gray Garcia. You can read the articles published on poormagazine.org. And you can go to poorpress.net and order the new book put out by Tiny and other poverty scholars called Poverty Scholarship, Poor people-led theory, art, words, and tears across Mama Earth. I'll link to all of these resources in the transcript. If you're affiliated with a school or large church or agency or other institution with a budget, you can bring Tiny and other poverty scholars there to do a presentation and work with your folks. Contact them through the Poor Magazine website. And then... Use what you have learned to blow the whistle on the wrongness, as Tiny says, and advocate for poor people-led liberation movements. We need to get ready, because I'm afraid they are coming for poor people. The ancestors, the natural world, the spirit of life and love are all on their side, and we can be too, if we are willing to have our whole lives upended, transformed.
That brings me maybe to the most important thing you can do, not just for the movement, but for your own salvation. And that is to divest of your wealth by donating directly to poor people-led solutions such as homefulness. Tiny calls it the medicine of redistribution. You can get that medicine by going to www.poormagazine.org and clicking on Become a Revolutionary Donor. You can also search out Poor People-Led Organizing that is happening near you and give your wealth into that work. So much is possible. So much is being made manifest among us if we are willing to put our ears to the ground and listen in unexpected places. Speak, Lazarus. Speak. That's what I've got for you this week, friends. You can find out more about Surge at showingupforracialjustice.org and our podcast lives at SoundCloud. Search on The Word is Resistance. Transcripts are available on our website, which include references, credits, and copyright information. You can communicate with us and leave feedback on our Facebook or SoundCloud pages. We'd love to hear how you are doing and what actions you are taking to build up a new world. Speaking of which, the music you are hearing on this podcast is a live recording of a song gifted to the freedom movement by Dr. Vincent Harding called We Are Building Up a New World. The group you hear singing is No Enemies, a multiracial group of activists and musicians in Denver, Colorado, who come together for movement choir practice to bring singing back into direct actions and other movement spaces. This particular choir practice is from December 2014, and it's being led by Minister Daryl J. Walker. We are deeply grateful to the Freeney Harding family for letting us use this song for our podcast. Our sound editor this week is Maxwell Pearl. Thanks so much, Max. As always, blessings to you in all that you do to resist injustice and in all that you do to build up a new world. Until next time, I'm Nicola Torben. Yeah.